Resistance Radio that explores the movements that made us, drawing on the activist archives through to the voices of resistance today. I'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Megan Williams with you today, and we were just listening to Weeping in the Forest by Archie Roach as we continue our 45 Years of Creative Resistance Retrospective History Series. Looking back at the 45 years that we have been mobilising communities, resisting the oppressive forces from patriarchy to nuclear racism, and transforming our future towards a more just world for all. Today on the show, we're looking back at the work of the Barma Milua Collective that joined the Yorta Yorta-led fight for country and the campaign to protect the Barma Milua National Park. The Barma Milua Forest straddles both sides of the iconic Murray River, 200 kilometres due north of Melbourne. In an awe-inspiring landscape, it is an expansive complex of woodland and ephemeral wetlands and the largest red gum forest in the world. The traditional custodians, the Yorta Yorta people, have maintained an unbroken connection to the Barma Milua forest as their heartland and have campaigned for land rights the health of their, and the health of their country since European invasion. In 1998, Yorta Yorta elders asked Friends of the Earth to join a campaign to protect the Barma Milua forest and re-establish their rights to maintain it. Uh, we're covering off on the history and the politics over the time of our 45 years of campaigning here in so-called Australia, what we did and why it's still important. Joining us to share in these stories will be Indira Narayan, Jonathan Lenoz, both uh, early collective members uh, in the Barma Milua Collective at Friends of the Earth, and Auntie Monica Morgan uh, of Yorta Yorta, who was instrumental in the campaign as well. That's coming up after this community service announcement. Wear your Radical Radio colours in one of 3CR's new T-shirts. The bright new design comes straight from this year's popular Radiothon poster designed by Aisha Tufa. T-shirts cost $30 to pick up or $37 with postage. So drop into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Call 9419-8377 to place your order. Or buy one online at 3cr.org.au slash shop. 3CR Radical Radio T-shirts. Get Get one one now. now. <laughs> 3CR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week. 
including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to our Tricia Community Radio. Please subscribe now. تستمعون إلى إذاعة Community Radio الرجاء الاشتراك الآن. நீங்கள் உங்களின் சமூக வானொலி த்ரீசியாரை கேட்டுக்கொண்டிருக்கின்றீர்கள் I give honour to the Indigenous peoples from this country, the land that we walk on, the land of struggle where things have started, the invasion. The Yorta people at the minute are with unity with all Indigenous peoples from Australia and around the world. We're in a struggle for survival. It never finished. It never stopped with the colonialists coming into our country, invasion. It is continuing to this very day. We've just come through a campaign of four years under the native title legislation. We've been in the federal court. We have 500 respondents opposing us. Three state governments, South Australia, New South Wales and Victoria, six shire councils, a conglomerate of timber, graziers, beekeepers, recreational users, you name it, anyone who has a financial interest in our country. Last week we took occupation of the Dania Centre because the Victorian Government has just legislated a mirrored version of the Ten Point Plan. The Ten Point Plan has tried a final act of genocide to eradicate within the common law, which they can't do, that Indigenous peoples have rights to country. What they were trying to do was validate that a building that was funded by black money on black land, part of our, our way of trying to share our culture with non-Indigenous peoples, extinguished our native title. That means this building here that they tokenly given to the Wurundjeri or the Wurrung people here extinguishes their native title. We say we don't agree with that. Good afternoon. This is Acting Up on 3CR. We're looking back at uh, Friends of the Earth's 45 years of creative resistance. And today we are hearing stories about the Barma Milawa Collective. Now what you've just heard is Auntie Monica Morgan speaking at the International Solidarity Gathering of 1998. And she's joining us on the phone now to pick up the story from there. Uh, can you hear us, Auntie? Yes, I can hear you. Thank- Hi, uh, Indira and Jono. <laughs> Thank you, Megan. Hi. G'day. <laughs> Good to hear your voice. And um, so to start us off, Auntie Monica, um, what we've just heard was you speaking in 1998 about Yorta Yorta uh, taking occupation of the Dania Centre and your fight for native title over your country. Uh, And so to start us off, um, could you kind of give us, give us a picture of, you know, what, where was Yorta Yorta 
in their campaign to protect country when you started to become active in that fight? Um, and, you know, how did Friends of the Earth come to join you in it? Uh, well, I think at that stage, um, we're midway through our native title. Of course, uh, under the process, it was, um, uh, it went on to the High Court, went to the, uh, uh, full bench of the High Court, uh, Victorian government, as well as the New South Wales government and all the other respondents fought us all the way there. Um, at that stage, there was a uh, uh, an election, and the Labor government came into power, and uh, we thought we'd up the ante. So uh, it's around that time when we were doing that uh, that we asked Friends of the Earth to come along, and uh, we joined in a solidarity with other Indigenous peoples, First Nations peoples around Australia. I mean, I was only talking to Cheryl Buchanan the other day and um, there was very many people uh, who attended a sovereignty um, meeting that we had in um, Melbourne that so put on and it kind of consolidated our need to continue the fight even though the High Court battles and things were going, which we eventually lost because of the principle that they stated that the tide of history had uh, washed us away. And we had a very uh, ethnocentric uh, lawyer, um, judge called Olney, who, who would prefer to look at the white testaments of the people who robbed and raped and pillaged and uh, uh, shot our people rather than our own people. But um, I think uh, at that stage it consolidated us. And um, so the movement forward with uh, not only Friends of the Earth, trade union groups and a whole host of people was to push forward with our original mandate of by the old people is that we need to protect the Barma-Millawa National Parks and we were pushing for um, management uh, or management of those parks. So um, similar to what they did in Kakadu and those places. So that's where the, um, the campaign continued. Um, until the present day. So we can talk a little bit about Jono and um, Indira's role, but really uh, we need to understand it's always Yorta Yorta and the Indigenous people's fight. Non-Indigenous people come in and they support that fight because, I mean, really the system in itself is the, the uh, enemy of us at the moment. And... Um, you know, and we've, uh, we went all the way along until uh, we were successful now. Uh, right at this very moment, we're waiting for the Minister for Environment to hand down um, a decision um, which we are very hopeful of, is that um, we have joint management over the Bama National Park. And... That um, commitment for joint management of the Barmamillawan National Park, that was promised in around 2010, am I right? And so can you tell us about... Um, no, it actually went a bit further back, 2004. So Yorta Nation actually um, uh, did a co-management agreement with the Victorian Government in 2004. 
only two years after the High Court or three years after the High Court. This is long before uh, any other um, traditional settlement acts or anything like that is, uh, has uh, been in play with um, uh, other traditional owners. So we led the way, actually. So we negotiated um, use, using a lot of the information and material that we gathered during our campaign with Foe and uh, John O in particular and Indira a little bit around that time as well is uh, and presented it as our uh, basic um, mandate for why we should be able to look after country. So it was 2004 that we actually signed off and they did a co-management a little bit later at around 2010, but we'd already um, started those negotiations beforehand. And so why is it that it's uh, just happening now? How, what what is, hasn't or hasn't happened in uh, the last look, 16 years? Well, uh, the Labor government put into place a uh, traditional owner settlement act. Would actually, if you sign it off, you're signing away any future uh, negotiation rights. So when you go back to you think about sovereignty, uh, sovereignty should never be relinquished. We can look at things at a domestic level and make agreements with domestic governments, but that doesn't mean that we um, uh, um, ignore or um, put aside any long-term aspirations we have as a First Nations people. Um, and so, therefore, you never sign your rights away. The other thing is that so our co-management agreement um, went ahead without doing that. The Victorian government recognised that Yorta Yorta is the traditional owners, recognised our 16 family groups without us having to sign off on any um, signing off. But unfortunately, uh, Labor government uh, got caught up in that and then the Liberal country party came into power. So they've been... Um, they were the main people who fought us um, in our native title. They fought us very, very hard against us during the VCAT uh, process, VAC process, where the conversion of um, the state forest into a national park. And then uh, we had to wait probably... Um, some time until we came into the um, a Labor government come into power, and even then they're being very slow off the mark. Mm. And um, in the speech that we were hearing from 1998, you mentioned that at that time the Yorta Yorta people had just that week taken occupation of the Danya Centre. Yes. Could you tell us, you know, what was it that? led the Yorta Yorta people to occupy the Danya Centre? What, what were the factors leading up to that and what did that occupation look like and, like and how did it go from there? It was all because Native Title is about extinguishment. It's, it's about surety for white people and, and their white interests. It's really got nothing to do with the rights of First Nation peoples. And, um, of course, Kenneth and uh, others were bringing in the... Uh, 10 point plan and it also was around water at that stage and a whole host of things and um, even before that stage um, they were saying, I mean the whole case for our native title wasn't over uh, really about whether we exist as a people it was about extinguishment 
so to give surety to um, you know the farmers, particularly the people who had a vested interest in uh, public lands. So we um, we chained up, and all the young ones and the older ones, we all said no. Our people fought, lived, breathed in that national in that place that's now called a national park, and that we weren't going to give up um, our rights. So we've continued to have a presence at Dani Centre right up to now, and uh, at this stage. With the national park process going through, we're uh, we're getting to the stage now where we will have a um, continuing presence there at the Danya National Park, at the Danya Centre in the National Park. Mm. It's important because it teaches the it teaches the history, the struggle. Um, and the genocidal practices um, that occurred and how that place is centred to us because not only is centred because of, of the importance of the uh, environmental values and the water and the cultural values, but it also is our last place that Yorta Yorta people had to hold off in resistance. So that's the connection. Honey, Monica, it's it's Jono here. It, that's yep. sounds hopeful that Dania might be rebuilt and and refurbished. Is that yes. what's going to happen? Yes. That's such good news. It is such an important place that you know over so many generations. Yes, absolutely. It was allowed to deteriorate under the um, Liberal government. Um, of course, we had uh, holes come in, and they. 2004, and then they've uh, the Brax government, and they went out, and uh, they dragged their feet. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, even today, the Labor government, we've really got to be on the, you know, the campaigning never ends, and you really got to keep uh, pushing because um, it never ends because there's never an end date until sovereignty is finally uh, uh, a reality that we never ceded that. Um, never at all. But um, yes, our elders are really, really happy because they call that our Bush University. And it was such a place, um, you know, during my time in the campaign where non-Indigenous people could come in and listen and just sit down and be quiet and, and listen to Yorta Yorta people and hear the, the history of political struggle and the history of connection to country. Uh, and it's been such a a missing jewel there because it's right there where people for I'm sure many listeners have been to Barma but if you haven't you know if you're a visitor to the place you, you probably it's probably the first thing you see when you arrive in the forest and there's this beautiful shell of a building but it's no longer there's no longer accommodation it's no longer a big kitchen and a big fire where people used to be able to sit and yarn and it was just yeah anyway it's it's really hopeful to hear that that's coming back yeah yeah I mean um that was an important, very important component of our sharing. Uh, I think uh, Yorta Yorta has tried really hard to um, consolidate ourselves in the whole of country. Um, we've been working most solidly around uh, the Barma National Park. But remember, we, we go into New South Wales. We go all around uh, as far as Wangaratta and further. 
And so what we've been doing the last um, uh, 10, 20 years is really consolidating our, our uh, place in our whole country. Um, the government were trying um, very much to isolate us just to the Barmer, um, and uh, we've resisted that. So I'm really pleased to say that we're rebuilding our offices in uh, Barma and uh, we're taking back our heartland and uh, really spreading ourselves through our country as well. Mm. And another another bit of... Uh, so many bits of unfinished business, but, you know, on the New South Wales side, the national yeah. parks were declared, but, again, a Labor government committed to negotiating uh, a joint management arrangement over those parks. And the last I heard... The coalition government that replaced them has gone really slow, or even abandoned that. What What's the situation? Are they talking with you, or? Oh, it's quite dire over in um, New South Wales side because um, they actually want to de, de- uh, gazette some of the national park to allow logging back in there. Yeah. So um, we're actually, uh, uh, yeah. So that's what we've been. Um, uh, there's really not much we can do at the moment because we have the shooters, fishers and farmers as our um, local members. <laughs> and uh, what we've been doing is doing a lot of lobbying and a lot of groundwork with the New South Wales Labor and with environmental groups in, um, in um, New South Wales. And I think that's the important thing about it is that... Um, you can um, do as much as you can with government, but you can only go so far because we've got a long way to go because sovereignty and the whole um, jurisdiction of, uh, of our laws and customs and way of life on country is still an ongoing battle. And so the assertion that we keep doing all the time is just, uh, is just uh, marking time, really, until there is a, um, a better process available to us. But in doing that, we, we have to be a part of that process. Otherwise, waterways are, um, uh, the water system is actually is one of our big uh, um, fights and struggles at the moment. Um, and getting adequate water, environmental flows, fighting against the Murray-Darling Basin authorities and the farmers wanting to peel back more water out of the national out of the river system is uh, an ongoing battle and that's where uh, it's so important to keep those alliances together with the um, more progressive elements of um, this Australian society I mean we I don't look at myself as an Australian but most certainly there are a lot of young people and uh, that's what we learnt with uh, our relationship with yourselves, the friends of the earth, is that it, it gives us um, it gives us hope and uh, heart for the future. Well, I'm so pleased to hear that, Annie Monica. At least that part. Um, and I'm curious because you've been, you know, in the game for a long time. Um, what does it look like working with? Um, you know, working with people who are trying to support uh, Indigenous solidarity, you know, non-Indigenous people trying to support the struggles of traditional owners. Um, you know, what did it look like 
two decades ago and how does that compare to how that work looks today? Uh, I think it was a different, different, uh, different then. Uh, I think there was a much more um, concerted um, uh, push by um, environmental groups, unions. Uh, there wasn't so much more internalised. Um, there was an openness to listen and to understand that the the leaders in their own struggle is our people ourselves or the First Nations people. Um, as people get older, and I always said to Jono, and Jono can speak for himself and, and Dira, uh, eventually you grow up and you'll have families and you'll have to have proper jobs. <laughs> and, um, Trying to avoid it. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. And I think um, sometimes that can be a good thing and sometimes it can be a hindrance. I'll hear from yourself, but uh, uh, you, you hopefully have taken what you learnt with us uh, into your into your next sphere of uh, work, but um, somehow uh, maybe there's been a dropping of the ball in everyone's relationships um, in in regards to that. I think in those days, seventies, eighties, nineties, there was a lot more push to proactively um, fight. Um, injustices or in, both whether it's environment or land rights or sovereignty but there's less of a um, inclination now and I think it, it's all to do with the change in the atmosphere around us The uh, it's just changed uh, in a lot of ways yeah mm. and we might just go to a quick break um, but before we let you go Aunty Monica what would sovereignty of Yorta Yorta lands, what would that look like? Look, uh, there's just been a treaty process in Victoria, which is a complete failure. Uh, 2,000 people actually voted out of, you know, how many 50,000 or so blackfellas in, in Victoria. It's focused around um, Victorian Aboriginals and it focused on, uh, and, and it totally left out the equation where uh, Yorta Yorta, in, in, as an instance, uh, we speak for ourselves. We don't need an overarching body to speak for us. We don't need, um, and we don't split ourselves up into white states. And any agreements that we make on the ground is with domestic, is domestic. It's through our organisational structures, but the interface, the white interface. The real sovereignty is that we need to challenge the very existence of the English and the system in our country. That may take a long, long time because every person, particularly you fellas sitting at the table there, are acquiesced into a system that gives you your identity. And um, But it doesn't give Yorta Yorta our identity. They are, they are projecting out what they want to make of our identity. So we're actually looking at a much broader scale if you, you, and the treaty system that they've got in um, Victoria is absolutely, um, uh, shallow, empty and does not, uh, uh, does not provide that, um, basis for Yorta Yorta people. I can't speak for any other traditional owner group in, 
who live in, you know, Victoria, that uh, colonised state of Victoria. But we need to look broader, and, and actually it's the British, and it's this monarchy system, and it's this um, system that's uh, uh, on top of us, that we're trying to swim our way through, to, to breathe, to come up for air every now and then, and coming up for air is that sometimes to live in country we have to do some um, partnerships that are not to the best that they should be. So sovereignty is about looking at the future, looking at, a, at really coming to terms with the theft, the genocide, the corruption of, this, of our laws and customs, and, and a really look at does this constitution, does this Australian government, does this Commonwealth government, does this power under the Queen's uh, mandate have any relevance for us today? And really, that's where we're at. Um, so we are looking at a broader spectrum about how we start um, um, campaigning on that. But that's a different uh, level to joint management and doing whatever we can now to protect country and mm. protect our people. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been incredibly insightful. We'll be back just after this. Don't sing me an anthem Cos you don't know the words Words are hard to remember When they mean nothing at all To the hearts are still waiting For their voice to be heard Don't sing me your anthem when your anthem's absurd
You're listening to 3CR. This is Acting Up with Megan. And we're doing a history series of Friends of the Earth and the work we've been uh, campaigning on over the last 45 years. So we've just been listening to Arnie Monica of Yoda Yoda, uh, kind of setting the scene for how the Barmer Millua collective at Friends of the Earth got in behind their struggle um, to do what we could to support it. Uh, and just a reminder for anyone out there that wants to hear the whole of Arnie Monica's speech from 1998, you can go back to the International Solidarity Gatherings episode of this series and hear the whole 10-minute uh, speech that she gave, as well as uh, lots more about the, about the gatherings themselves. Uh, so now in studio, we are joined by Indira Narayan and Jonathan Lenose. How are you? Great. Great. <laughs> Wish Nani Monica was here in the studio. Yeah. We'd love to catch up. I really wanted to see her face. <laughs> yeah, she really did want to make it. Um, actually, uh, for everyone out there, the reason she joined us by phone was she just was a... Just that little bit too far down the highway. So, yeah, she, she did want to be here. Sounds like we'll have to meet up at the Danya Centre again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, to take it from there, Indira, you were involved in setting up the Barma Milua Collective at Friends of the Earth. Uh, you were around in 1998 um, through those Indigenous solidarity gatherings where the Yorta Yorta Friends of the Earth relationship really was fostered. I'd say it was solidified. Solidified. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it existed before that, but yes, it, it was definitely solidified along with the other relationships that developed with many other Indigenous groups from around the country and internationally, actually, as well. Yeah, it was an amazing uh, couple of gatherings. Mm. And so, you know, how how did you get involved with Friends of the Earth to to start it off? Uh, it was before '98. <laughs> um, it was back in about probably '96, I'd say. I was a student activist at Melbourne Uni. I was environment officer there and um, organising students um, around a whole lot of things. But what brought me to FOE was um, doing anti uranium campaigning really so um, I did a lot of that for many years uh, and and other anti-mining campaigns um, and bits and pieces of other forest campaigns but I was particularly interested in solidarity work with um, the different um, Aboriginal uh, groups from around the country that I was that we were whose country we were looking at and how they were engaged and how we could engage better with them um, to look at better uh, social justice and environmental justice outcomes. So, yeah, that's what made me keep going at FOE because it was the organi- environmental organisation which did um, premise the relationships with Indigenous communities um, at the heart of its campaign. So, um, for me, that was that was why I was there. And so it sounds only natural that you would have been involved in organising those Indigenous solidarity gatherings uh, of 1998 at least. Yeah, I think I'd just come back from Jabaluka and um, I'd been doing other anti-uranium stuff. We'd been taking groups of people around through the desert doing honeymoon and um, and other uranium mine um, sort of tours um, to show people what was going on with the impact of those of, of that um, 
mining. So I'd come back and all of a sudden this stuff had been sort of bubbling around, bubbling away, and people had been organising. I was like, right, I've got to do stuff on this as well. So, yeah, that's how I got involved with the ISG um, gatherings. And where did the Barmamilua, um Collective and that, that relationship, like how did that uh, progress the relationship into the formation of the Barmamilua Collective? Well, you heard Monica talk then. Um, she uh, spoke at... Um, and her mother um, spoke at the at the solidarity conference, and it was it was um, really inspirational. Um, then another friend of mine who had been doing work um, on the campaign, or oh, he had been doing some stuff around Obama. Um, he'd done his honors thesis. He said, "Let's start at the collective." So I think it was like October, November, or something like that. Um, what year? Two, I think 2000. 2000. Um, and so, yeah, there was a few of us. There was, I think, three of us that sat down. And I think originally we met at Trades Hall, um, but progressed our meetings through different amazingly radical places. Like the Empress Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did used to meet at the MP <laughs> and 3CR. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was, um, identifying that we really wanted to work as a collective, um, work as a collective closely together um, and have an agreement as a group on how we worked with um, with with different people. So, you know, were we were, was our collective going to be consisting of um, yorta yorta people or how did we how are we going to operate? So we were sort of trying to figure out how we did this work. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was very much around how do we collectively organise and how do we make these agreements and and what's the basis on which we. Um, move forward like what is our priority to do and 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 um most importantly for us it was around listening first to yorta yorta um having making sure that um our major decisions were, they knew about um they were participating in in that as much as possible so we would always tell them we want to do this or you want us you want people to do this can we do it this way so um we tried to use their um internal structures to make decision making easier for them as well so mm. yeah and we'll dig down into the details of you know how the collective operated and what you really came to do uh, but before that Jono do you want to just give us a little intro and how you got involved well I came on a couple of months later I'm still meeting at Trades Hall it was about January I reckon 2000 uh, my backstory was I'd grown up uh, a bit west of Barma in the foothills outside Albury-Wodonga uh, and my parents had really drummed into me that I was living on stolen land and this bush that I would you know, spend most of my weekends and, and evenings exploring was somebody else's country. So it was kind of natural when I moved to Melbourne and uh, to go to uni that the activism I gravitated towards was Indigenous solidarity activism. And at that point uh, at Melbourne Uni... People like Gary Foley were, were really active, um, you know, off the back of the Jabaluka campaign that Indira referenced. There was a lot of effort going into educating, you know, young, white, arrogant blokes like me about <laughs> how to be a good ally and how to, um, resp- how to, how to work with Indigenous leadership and follow Indigenous leadership and do our role in, you know, 
dismantling the racism and the other barriers that get in the way of Indigenous uh, sovereignty. So I was kind of, you know, getting involved in different little campaigns and educational efforts on, on campus and I heard of this campaign that had a really clear articulation of its um, relationship with Yorta Yorta. It had a clear um, leadership from Yorta Yorta. The, you know, the collective had really been set up in response to a, a clear demand, a clear campaign strategy led by people like Arnie Monica and Arnie Liz. And there were people like Indira and Pete who, who really, I, I guess, had learnt those lessons of solidarity and that I, as a young person, felt this is a place where I can contribute, where I can learn, um, I can be respectful and I can make an impact on a, a piece of country uh, for a people whom I owe something to just by my, my very nature of being, you know, uh, uh, existing on this land. So I turn up to a meeting and the next thing you know, you've got a task and, you know, you go from there. Mm-hmm. And so what kind of actions was the Barma Miloa Collective engaging in? Uh, well, we wanted to, we needed to support the Yorta claim over country. Um, you know, they're in the midst of their native title battle as, as Monica talked about. Um, and they were, they had a lot of opposition. So we wanted to somehow figure out how can we buffer some of that, um, take on some of the rot, the tasks that needed to happen to be able to, um, provide the evidence behind their, um, capacity to undertake the work of looking after country. So, um, one of the things we did was, um, look at, uh, what, what are the things that we actually need uh, as an evidence base for um, making these claims and, and, and saying, okay, yep, Yorta Yorta can do this. this is, and so we um, produced um, some evidence-based reports, some scientifically-based reports, um, uh, one which was looking at Yorta Yorta management of country, um, traditional Indigenous knowledge um, and its application on country, um, and looked at joint management and the different joint management regimes that had happened around the country and how they could be applied down here because Victoria didn't really have any legislation around that. Um, and we wanted to make sure that national parks, there was, there was a possibility of creating national parks that were under joint management in, in Victoria and in New South Wales as well. Um, and then we were also looking at alternative, um, ways, means of, uh, economic development in the area that wasn't exploitative, wasn't, was an alternative to what was damaging country, um, which was the logging for firewood primarily, um, and, um, you know, some of the other, and, and getting, and taking things like the cattle out of the forest, the, the cattle that the cattlemen, the local cattle, the farmers would adjust in the forest, uh, that was quite damaging, looking at how to get rid of the brumbies out of the forest and other ferals and things like that as well. So that was one of our primary goals initially to sort of do some of that work and to, be another face of um, supporting Yorta Yorta's claim to be able to um, take back country and, and manage it. Mm. Where did it go from there, Johnny? Well, we did a lot of work coalition building. You know, in almost any campaign, you can't win on your own and you need to bring in other actors that have power that's different to yours, that can reach different constituencies. And I think, um, you know, Yorta Yorta set a really um, a clear structure from the start that 
that people should join this campaign respecting Yorta Yorta aspirations for land uh, and respecting Yorta Yorta leadership and the need for Yorta Yorta to speak for country. And we saw our role as taking that model out and expanding the number of groups and constituencies respecting that model and joining uh, and backing the, the call for protection of country, justice for land and people was the slogan. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of work in, in the Goulburn Valley with the local reconciliation group and some of the church, some of the faith-based groups, local environment, uh, local groups. environment groups, some of whom Yorta Yorta already were working with. And we, you know, we did that sort of, uh, that role of expanding the coalition, deepening the relationships. And then in the, with the state-based organisations, again, bringing in other uh, conservation organisations and and kind of doing the, the the what's often undervalued the work of just continually building and deepening relationships and aligning groups on strategy and making sure that as the campaign unfolded, you know whether you were doing letterbox dropping or door knocking or organising a rally, uh, that what the environment groups and the reconciliation groups and the unions and everyone else in Melbourne were doing was thoroughly cemented behind, in lockstep behind what Yorta Yorta wanted and what was appropriate to say at that point and what wasn't appropriate. And so we did a lot of that sort of connective tissue work, if you like, of making sure there was alignment and solidarity. Mm. Mm. You're listening to Acting Up. We're hearing the stories of the Barma Millua Collective and we'll be back after this quick break. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make and sure I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. You're listening to 3CR. This is Acting Up, a special history series of Friends of the Earth's 45 Years of Creative Resistance. And with me in the studio is Indira Narayan and John Lanos. 
and we're talking about the history of the Barma Millawa Collective. So, Jono, um, we're fast running out of time here. Could you run us through a bit of the timeline of the campaign? So we've heard about the origins and where it began. You know, what... Um, what happened in between then and the protection of the Barmamillawa National Park? I'm going to get a few of the dates wrong because what I didn't do was bring my Ready Reckoner, which is my back issue of Chain Reaction, from, uh, <laughs> it must have been around about 2008 or 2009, I reckon. We wrote up a, a history of the campaign. And um, all the listeners should go and have a look at that. And download it. The Chain Reaction special was a 10-page lift-out. Anyway. We, we actually have them all beautifully bound. Oh. And you can come in to Friends of the Earth at 312 Smith Street and sit on the couch and flip through. Get your copy. <laughs> um, but so, look, a few, thing, a few critical things happened along the way. Firstly, the Victorian government, so Yorta Yorta Country and Barmamillawa Forest sits right on the middle, of, you know, the Murray goes right through the middle of it. So, as Monica was saying, two states. A lot of the action happened in Victoria for a long time as the New South Wales government just dragged its heels. But in Victoria, the first key thing we got was the Victorian government to do the Victorian Environmental... Commission a study, the Victorian Environmental Assessment Council would a land use study across all the red gum, uh, part, uh, red gum area. And the key thing was, uh, oh, my God, Aunty Monica's just walked into the studio. see. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that study, the key thing was that the terms of reference, I think, for the first time in Victoria's history included looking at Indigenous land management options as part of that study. And this is the normal way you get national parks in Victoria. So that study, then, you know, these things, they went through. It took two cycles of government. It took about eight years or something or other. But all the way along, we kept ramping up the pressure to say, well, there's a, there's a proposition here that Yorta Yorta have put together for a jointly managed national park. It's not that radical. They exist everywhere else around the country. We should do it in Victoria. And really a lot of the milestones ended up being around the discussion papers and the proposal sounds a bit boring, but was of you know convincing that po- that policy process and getting the bureaucrats to look at it and go, oh, yeah, no, this is a proposition that's implementable that there's a lot of community support for. And it also helped convince other allies as well, I think. Absolutely. You know, that, were there, that were there, but, you know, there's some solid background to that stuff. One key moment I want to mention was the moment, it was, it was horrific, but it actually was a turning point, was um, the, a conservationist uh, noticed that there's some beautiful areas of Barma that had never been touched by logging, uh, had that there were mechanical harvesters going in there, and it was a complete and utter stuff-up that this was some of the most uh, um, intact, ecologically speaking, bit of forest that was supposed to be protected and it was the only known breeding site in Victoria for the superb parrot and the level of like the monumental stuff up that happened to enable to to let those loggers in there was a turning point Um, the environment minister of the day John Thwaites launched a special investigation and it just enabled us to crack open the idea that the government was actually sustainably logging this place, that they had it all under control. Nobody needed to worry. Yorta Yorta Heritage was, you know, protected. The, the, the plants and animals were all fine. No, absolutely not. We nearly lost the last breeding site of the superb parrot in Victoria. And from there, that really shifted the public debate. Mm. And we've just got a couple of minutes left. 
Aunty Monica, hello and welcome to the studio. I thought I'd come <laughs> eventually. <laughs> We're so glad you made it. You made it just in time, uh, perhaps to have the final word. So you've been listening in the car, is that... Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I well, had to turn your phone off though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Mm. Um, yeah, before we close out the show, did you want to add anything else to the discussion? I think the most important thing is to say that um, country uh, is a very important element for traditional owners or First Nation peoples. Without it, we don't have a, um, a reservoir about where we can go and connect back with our country and, and look and feel um, the senses. And um, the part that we've been fighting for, the Barma National Park, they say, oh, you know... Um, it's what is its importance it's our heartlands it's actually the base of uh, the last part of our resistance so all through our country we were having our wars with um, white settlers coming into our country and really the Barmer and the Milua Moira uh, is one collect- one um, national park or one country remnant country that's left on our in our vast area of um, lands and uh it was so important, and just this week we found the coordinates of the last of the massacre that took place right near the Barma Lakes, and it was by Kerr who led this massacre. He was the man that Olney pointed to as being the most um, knowledgeable about the history of our people from that day and actually talked about us as a people embellishing our own stories. This is a man that stole our land, took, you know, uh, murdered our people, and then went on to um, be published and uh, seen at the High Court as being someone who could um, take our land. And I think for us, we'd come through such an horrendous time. Having the opportunity, we're working with young people that that wanted to see a better existence and history and wanted to actually see more than just, um, you know, we might say that National Park and, and doing that is just, you know, it doesn't seem so um, avant-garde as, you know, fighting against the, uh, putting your life down in front of uh, um, bulldozers going in with the mining, but every bit of resistance is protecting our country. So for us... This was our life, and um, we've still got a long way to go, but uh, we feel a lot more, you know, much better 20, 30 years later. Um, it's still happening, um, but um, we're strong uh, people, as we always had been, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I very clear reminder that we are always on Solon land, and... This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So that's all we've got time for today. Um, I'd like to thank all of our guests, Indira Naran, John O'Lanose and Auntie Monica Morgan. Thank you so much for joining us. No Thanks for having us. Thanks, Megan. <laughs> and uh, uh, that brings us to the end of the show. Um, I'd also like to thank my co-producer, M. Gafer, and everyone at 3CR who have helped to make this series a reality. Uh, just a reminder to all our listeners out there that the whole series is available online. So if you haven't heard 
um, all of the stories, I'd encourage you to head to 3cr.org.au slash acting up or check out where your podcasts, where you get your podcasts to listen to all those stories. Up next is Jan's, Jan's Tuesday Home Time and we'll see you next time.